Hello, and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Human Design with Victoria Jane. Here, we have candid, insightful conversations about human design and what it's like living your experiment. We'll hear from entrepreneurs, healers, and growth-oriented folks as they practice living their design. And we use these conversations as a space to share the challenges, wins, the ahas and learning moments of living in alignment with your truest life. There's no one right way to do it, and these conversations are here to reassure, expand, and inspire you on your own human design experiment. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast, Human Design, with me, Victoria Jane. And I am very excited to be telling you a little bit about today's episode. As you have already seen by tapping on this, I am talking to Unique Hammond, a Crohn's survivor, a bean protocol specialist, holistic nutritionist, author, certified health coach, and wife and mother in her non-nutrition life who has helped countless individuals recover from various hormonal imbalances, weight issues, and really discover natural wellness to lead healthier and more vital lives. And among those countless individuals she's helped includes myself. And what's interesting about this conversation is I had worked with Unique, and many of you know I've done the Bean Protocol for a while since the beginning of 2020, but I didn't really know how much she knew about human design. It had come up briefly in one of my coaching sessions with her that she knew her design. She was familiar with it. Like I knew she had had a reading a while ago, but I didn't realize actually just how much about her design that she knew. And so we actually got to go in pretty nuanced, deep like topics. And I had such an amazing time learning more about how she relates her own design to her journey. And so for anybody who is specifically really interested in how health and human design intersect and also PHS determination, your digestive type, whatever you want to call it, we, Unique and I are both open taste people, so we get into some interesting things there. And then at the very end, I would listen all the way through because we get into her cognition, which is smell. And some of you may have come across the the thing that's often said about cognition, which is the more you eat according to your digestive type, the more it feeds your brain and your cognitive function. And that's where the word cognition really comes from is it's your strongest sense based on your, I want to make sure I'm using the right word here, how your brain is really wired. And I didn't realize this at the time while we were talking, but after we hung up, I realized oh my God, Unique is a perfect example of what happens when you eat according to your determination and then more of your cognition comes online because she shares some funny, not funny, but just I, I found really interesting experiences of how she uses her smell cognition. So I'm jumping ahead of myself. There are some other things we talked about earlier in the episode, including healing from overdoing, pushing, burnout. She's a split definition with all four motors defined. So you can imagine that not just that sacral energy, but that root drive and that ego energy playing into her own journey of pushing and her fear motivation and wanting to understand things that led her into 
as she went down the healing path of figuring out how to heal her own chronic illness, the role that that played and how tuning into your intuition can be huge during this process. And then, as I mentioned, she's an open taste person. So what it was like retraining her taste buds. She has a book called Your Taste Buds Are Assholes. And I have personally also had experiences where my taste buds, even as an open taste person, right, like because that's such a strong way I relate to the world, we both had our own experiences of getting hooked on sugar, caffeine, so what that transition was like. And two observations that I had after hanging up from the call, and this happens to me all the time, I don't know if it's a left brain, left mind thing where I'm like so focused on the call that afterwards there's details that I couldn't take in at the time that will then come up for me and probably also just being a projector so deeply kind of like taking in again the other person. These two observations. So one, I felt incredibly grounded afterward, which is not always the case for me, especially I've noticed when I'm around people that are really defined. And this has been a really interesting observation over time because I used to think when I was around sacrals or just really defined people, I would feel that energy and I would use the analogy of like, oh, it feels like I've literally had caffeine. But as I meet more and more really defined people that are in the wellness space as opposed to, you know, tech, I have had a different experience where I'll leave and I'll feel actually really, like I said, really grounded. I'm not amped in this kind of grindy way. And I have this theory that for myself, at least, I can actually, via the sacral energy I'm picking in, also sense the quality and the, the clarity of that sacral energy if there is more of that condition pushing quality or if there's actually more of that open responsiveness. And so I just wanted to briefly share that as a true testament, I think, to how Unique really walks her talk and to also add more nuance to the idea of what sacral energy looks, feels like. That's just my personal anecdote there. And the other observation is just truly how intuitive she is. And I this relates to the f- idea of her cognition opening up that I shared earlier. Because, of course, when she started the Bean Protocol, as, as Unique shared, she didn't know about human design, nor necessarily this idea of like deconditioning. But I'm pretty sure, I can't remember exactly how long she's been on the Bean Life now, but I am pretty sure it's been at least more than seven years, which would be that full deconditioning cycle that people like to reference. And when we hung up, I was like, wow, I didn't realize you were so intuitive and you perceived so much, but it's true. And her response to me was, yeah, that all started opening up when I started and continued on the Bean Protocol. So while my intention for this conversation was more at the higher level of talking about eating for calm, for me, just hear my splenic authority. I think there there were just these nuances in how she spoke about how she sees the world, and I can't even remember exactly what else, but I could feel it. This intuition being even more nuanced than that, almost this kind of just like clarity and ability to perceive things. So I really hope you enjoy this. And also, this is another episode where we jump straight into her determination, my determination, and there's this assumption that you kind of know what we're talking about. If you are newer to this and you want to learn more about your specific digestive type or aka determination and eating for your type overall, 
I recommend checking out the video that I'll have up by the time this episode airs, which will cover eating for each of the types, as well as where this information lives in the chart. So kind of covering what it means to have a left versus right facing determination arrow, how being a sacral versus a non-sacral affects eating and energy and things like fasting. And then finally, all six of the digestive types. And I know for the curious people out there, there's plenty of information that you can find in various parts of the internet and on social media. But I personally wanted to bring it all together in a really comprehensive way. I know when I was studying, it was like getting little bits and pieces, but I had to put it together myself. And I find that understanding something holistically from the top down, just holistically with type, with the arrow, where does it live? You know, so you can look up yourself, not just yourself, but maybe the people in your family, if you're all eating together, or if you work with clients of some kind that might want to know something that's different than yours. I think it's so helpful and it helps us understand ourselves better when we see how the information fits into the broader system and also what we're not, right? So you can check that out on the new website that is up by now or will be soon and or in my link tree on Instagram if that's where you live. And if you're not already on my email newsletter, feel free to sign up. I'm planning to share a holiday code out for those folks that are receiving my emails. So if you want that, you can also get that through either the website or the the link in bio on Instagram. And that's it for now. I hope you enjoy. Unique, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be talking to you today about a couple of things that have been in my life and like a very foundational piece, the Bean Protocol and human design. And I love that you know your design. And I usually like to start these conversations off with you telling us a little bit about what your human design is. I will have already told people about what you do as a nutritionist and with the Bean Protocol, but let's start there. Yes, I'm a manifesting generator, a one three, which I definitely have felt throughout my life long before I I met human design. I'm a split definition and I'm a, I'm emotional tribal tribal with a tribal wave. I think yeah. I yeah. You you know like all the stuff. Like you just rattled <laughs> off all those facts. Remind me, how long have you known about human design and been experimenting with it? I think it's been about five years. When I first was introduced to it, it just was kind of complicated for me where I was like, whoa, what is happening? I don't even know. You know, I really, I had a second hand with astrology, but human design seemed really complicated. And I remember after finding out about it a year later, I got sick and I was in bed. And then I started messing around with, with different human design stuff. Cause I was just like, board. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to dive back into that and see if it really resonates. And it wasn't until I had a reading for me personally that I really understood because as a one, three, like I really want to know, right? Yeah. Yeah. I need to know. Totally. Um, And firsthand experience is the best way for me to know. I was kind of a nightmare kid growing up, I'm sure for my parents, because it was like, they, you can tell me something, but unless I really experience it, I don't know. Like I need to know it on that cellular level. So I had the reading and, you know, I'd spent 
my childhood feeling like I had this wave, feeling like I had this energy moving through me and feeling like there were all of these things that I felt that didn't belong to anybody else. Like these were my feelings, but we're, we're raised in this world that tells us everything is cause and effect. So if you feel upset, then it's somebody upset you or something upset you versus just feelings kind of passing through you. And one of the things that the reader told me was like, you have all of these feelings that are passing through you and just don't attach meaning to them. Just let them flow through you and out of you and experiencing them, but not attaching yourself to them. And I was like, I wish I had heard somebody tell me this when I was in my teens, when everything was so personal and everything had to have a meaning. And all of a sudden I just felt free. I was like, I'm free because I can allow this sadness to roll through me, or I can allow this passion to roll through me, or I can allow this curiosity, these things to just kind of roll and not get, have any major attachment to them. Yeah. That was a game changer. Wow. It's so funny. I, when I talk to two things, one is when I talk to one threes, especially, but any first line in the reading, they're like, okay, so like, help me orient to this chart, like what's going on. And we start with just those basic building blocks. Cause you're like, wait, I need to, I need to like figure out the landscape. And then with the emotional authority piece, like I don't get tired of hearing people. I mean, I'm, I have a totally open emotional center, so I don't know that experience, but I hear over and over again, oh my God, like it's not personal and just how profound that can be. So thank you for, for sharing that. So I know for me, a huge piece of living my design and I'm a splenic authority was getting to the point where my nervous system was calm enough that I could actually hear my authority. And so some people might like, when they first see this podcast episode, they might be like, what does the bean protocol have to do with human design? But it's been such a transformative tool for me. And in particular, my path to human design was pushing so much and not recognizing how to use my energy in a way that was aligned. And there's so many different modalities to heal, but at the end of the day, we're all humans in a physical body. (laughs) And the bean protocol really addresses, I think for me as somebody with a sensitive nervous system. And then also anecdotally, I've just noticed that people with defined roots tend to have consistent access to adrenal energy, which is one of the main things I think the bean protocol helps to smooth out the edges of I'll say. And so that's a little bit of context for people that are listening in who I know many people will already be familiar with you and your work, but there might be some new folks too, as to why I wanted to have you on. And just to go a little bit more into my health journey as a con- as context, and you will probably remember pieces of this. I, as a projector, was always pushing and super burnt out. Like by the time I found you and the Bean Protocol, I had tested like negative on all my hormones, um, sex hormones, and cortisol, and all of that. I had no period, obviously, as well. And then when I did have them irregularly, they were really long, so that was. I think that's also a common symptom of being an overproducer of adrenaline, right? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sleeping. So that was like a lot and it was really challenging. And so I think just like, maybe I want to pause there and hear a little bit about your journey with energy and pushing and because you have your, I, and I know your health journey is quite long. And before you say that, I want to just point out another observation about your design before we chatted, I pulled up your chart and you're interesting because you're, you're, you're an MG. So you have a lot of energy. You have all four of your motor centers defined. So arguably you're like the most energetic, even, even within the range of MGs, you're like the most energetic MG. 
But like, and you said this earlier, your split definition and the split that you have is that your sacral isn't connected to your throat. So it's like, you're this, you're almost like there's one part of you. That's this incredibly strong manifester that has emotional wave defined ego defined root and that adrenal energy all ready to just like come out and act and go. But then your gut's like, wait, I'm not, I'm not in the loop in that conversation. And I just thought it was really interesting to think about your health journey in that context, where it's like, you had so many different places you could plug in and charge and push, but the thing that really needed to be in alignment was that gut. So I'll pause there and let you share a little bit about your journey. Yeah. And that is really interesting. And I was, as I was listening to you describe my design, I was thinking it's really interesting. I have a lot of energy, but only for what really, what I really want to do. Right. And for so much of my life, my mind was kind of running the ship of what I had to do. Like I was, I really lived in, in fight or flight a lot. So I wasn't centered in my being and I wasn't I wasn't really waiting for that like spark. It was more just like, put your head down and work. So I was really abusing my, my energy sources because I was using them for things that I really didn't care about, you know, just as like a survival mechanism of like, I was raised to work. You just work and you don't think about the work that you're doing and you just do it and you just show up and you get the job done. And so I was just doing that for so many years, show up, get the job done that when my health crisis happened and I had gut issues my whole life. So that's kind of interesting. Right. And, but they were, they were quiet gut issues. It was kind of like, just we're here. It was kind of like, we're here and you really should pay attention to me, but my little manifesting generator, you know, I'm doing, and I'm doing, I'm not really stopping to listen and pay attention. We just kind of override that whole sensory experience. I was living as far out of alignment as you could get really. So when my health crisis happened, Crohn's disease, the gut issues were kind of getting louder and louder. I had a yearly checkup. Doctors were like, you're fine. Your acid reflux, take an axiom. Blood work looks fine. And I was like, okay, I'm fine. So I'm just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and keep going and keep showing up and, you know, committed, dedicated. That that will. (laughs) That will was just overriding. And so that little gut was, was suffering. And I tried a lot of protocols before I found my way to the bean protocol. And what was interesting about the bean protocol, as you mentioned, is that one of the, I didn't notice an immediate gut response, like for Crohn's disease, it's a lot of inflammation and a lot of bowel movements, and it's very uncomfortable and very not sexy. And I was very young. And so the whole thing was very humbling and very painful and But what it did is it knocked me out of my, it knocked me off my path, which I needed. Like I was very stubbornly on my path and pursuing a career that wasn't right for me at all, but I was set on it and the opportunities came up and I just took them without even thinking about it. And just away I went. And which is sorry to interrupt, but that's like very third line too. I feel like, (laughs) yeah, but I feel like at some point you should know when to get off. I did. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, this isn't working. I relate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm not really into this anymore. This isn't working to me. It was like, no, this is what I do. This is my identity. This is how I make money. This is how I live my life. And you were probably good at it too, though, is what I would guess. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's amazing how good you can get it at something that you don't even love. Mm -hmm. Like, surprisingly, you can get surprisingly good at stuff that you don't love, which was shocking to me because I'm, I'm an information person. So for me, it's like, 
more information, learn the tools, get the trade, do the thing, right? Just put it into action. And yeah, so I did. And my illness really stopped me, but it didn't stop me at first. Like I was pretty sick and I still was like working and going to work and doing my thing. And, and funny enough, it wasn't until I healed and I went into remission with the bean protocol that that was the moment I actually left my job. Mm. And that was the moment that I took a pause and I was like, what just happened to me was profound. And I actually need to stop and sit with it. Like I need to stop and actually be with this because I was so sick that the doctors were like, were really saying to me, if you don't get on medication, you're going to kill yourself. And being a stubborn person, I was like, no, I'm going to do this and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to, you know, heal myself and I'm not going to get on all these drugs. And, and, and I proved myself right. That mantra that I had of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to heal myself. I got myself into this mess and I'm going to get myself out was kind of my mentality with it. And I was really happy that the medical world was there. Should I need it? It was kind of this parachute, right? That I could, I knew I could go to the emergency room at any time and get help. Should I want it? And many nights I wanted it. I just, I just was like, I'm not ready there. I'm not there yet. Cause I kept, interestingly enough, that's what connected me to my body was checking in with myself and going, I'm really sick and this is really bad, but do I need to go to the emergency room? And there was always this resounding, no, you're good. Keep going. And I was like, mm. okay, okay. Mm. So do you think that was your sacral response in retrospect? It's probably. okay. Yeah. It was deep. It was a deep resonant feeling that I'd never felt before. It was really a wisdom that I didn't have as a person, I didn't have the wisdom that my body responded Like to. human sort of ego mind. Yeah. Yeah. My mind was just like, I'm in so much pain and I'm so, I'm suffering so much that I should, a rational human being would be in the emergency room. And I remember my family was like, do you want to go? And I was like, hang on, let me think, let me feel this. And it was like, no. And I was like, okay, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that takes so much. I mean, you really have to be in like such a specific point in the journey to, to get to that. Like what you're saying resonates a lot with me where it's like, there's all this stuff. And then you just got to kind of tap in and dig deep. But there's something as you were talking, like there's so much of a defined ego energy I hear in what you're saying. Have you spent much time thinking about your defined ego within the context of your design? No, but I would love for you to tell me about my defined ego. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so obviously ego in the human design lingo does not mean the same thing as, you know, what we say kind of in the general terms. So, so the ego is also called the heart center. And when you have it defined, like you do defined hearts have a consistent sense of they can tap into their willpower. Mm -hmm. And so it can serve, I mean, it's not, it's not good or bad. It's just like how to use it. Right. So on one hand, and specifically the 3740, you have the, the 40, which is in the ego center, that gate, there's an ability or maybe tendency for these folks to be able to work really hard on behalf of the people they love. So you talk about like the tribal, the tribal wave, right? It's like, my mom has this, I, I know some other people in extended family and they're like, yeah, I worked so hard for you. I made all this money. I bought you this great gift. Like there's something that feels good about that, right? Cause you're empowering your resources, but then you can also push too hard and be like, this is who I need to be. I committed to this job. I'm empowering other people they are depending on me. So there's kind of like both sides there, but then also like, because you have this strong willpower, it can feel really, the strength is that you can really keep your commitments, but it can also be really hard to break commitments. And so as you were talking about, you decided like, no, I'm not going to 
go for the medical thing unless I really need it. It sounded to me so much like you're checking in, like, am I going to keep this promise to myself? I don't know if there was a moment where you like consciously decided that. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point. I definitely can get so committed to something that I won't break my stride to the commitment, but I definitely had made a promise to myself that I wouldn't go to the point of no return. And I guess for me, the checking in was always, are we there yet? Are we at that point? Are we before that point? Am I too late? Like, I think the hardest part about being sick is all of the questions and the fear, right? And I have a fair amount of fear gates going on. Yes. So. And you're a fear motivation, I think too, right? Yeah. 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 Me too. Yeah. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the fear talk around illness, because there's so much unknown, right? And the unknown is scary in its nature. The way that the fear the fear was really a motivator for me. It was a motivator to do more research. It was a motivator to understand more. Like the way I respond to fear in life is to know more, um, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh, you're scared? Okay, learn more. There you must know? be an answer. This yeah. information will help me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and also when you're, when I found when I've been really sick, it's like my sense of reality gets distorted. I'm like, is this real or not? Am I in a place of doubting or actually are these questions necessary to protect me from somebody that doesn't have my best interests in mind and are recommending something that doesn't serve me, right? So it can be, yeah, a really tricky place to navigate. So, okay, we've been talking about the bean protocol, but we haven't explained what it is. Do you want to give a, can you give a quick synopsis of how does it work? And it doesn't have to be too detailed because I know you've you've spoken in other places about it, but just like for someone who's like, what are they talking about? So the bean protocol is a whole foods protocol with a focus on fiber. I traditionally omnivore, but I work a lot with vegetarian and vegans to tweak it for their needs and for their healing goals. But basically that's it. And the fiber source that it's focused on is mostly soluble fiber, but it is looking at the entire spectrum of fiber, right? We get our fiber from our vegetables. Some people are grain-free, some people aren't. I'm not, which is kind of a big deal for a person with Crohn's. Like I don't have any issue with gluten. I can eat gluten. I minimize grains just for my own physical needs. I don't feel like I need a lot of grains. Some of my clients feel like their brain doesn't wake up until they have grains in their Mm -hmm. diet. So it's a really interesting thing to find everybody's happy balance. But basically the main fiber is soluble fiber, which is mostly found in abundance in beans. Beans are really the only great source with nutrients attached. There's psyllium husk, which is a great stand-in, but it doesn't have the same kind of nutrients. So, but can be used. And I use it all the time and I personally use it as well. But that is the protocol. So it's it's just really eating for health. And I've been on it for nine years and I love it. I feel good. I feel calm. That was the thing that, so it's an interesting conversation between where human design meets childhood trauma, right? And, and how we're like wired or the patterns that we, yeah. Yeah, because my nervous system was just really set into fight or flight where I I don't think like when you were talking about like that response or sacral response or like, where's a response coming from? Like I was so out of my body that I would have had no idea where things were coming from. There were times in my life that I got messages from beyond that always felt like beyond for me. Like, I don't know where this is coming from, but 
I'm going to listen to it, you know, <laughs> like that inner wisdom or something. It, it always felt kind of just beyond me where this, it, this wisdom was coming from that I needed to take this road or that take, say yes to that choice. But yeah, so I think that for me, the bean protocol really pulled down that adrenaline. And one of the amazing things that happened is I could begin to hear my body respond. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was such an incredible gift. And this was before I found, so after I'd healed, I'd found human design. And when I had that reading, I was like, wow, this brings awareness to something that I'd begun to, to feel innately, you know, like, oh, this, these feelings and wanting to slow down and not wanting to, because I am very excitable. If somebody goes unique, let's go to Burning Man. I'm like, yes. And then I'm like, like a day later to no yeah. ride the wave, yeah. ride the wave, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, and, but the yes will get me into trouble if I do it, because that's my immediate, like, I want, I'm tribal. I want to be a part of this. And then my body, really the weight to respond is, do I have the energy for this? Do I have the resources for this to, to make this a beneficial experience for myself and for those around me? And so the weight to respond was the biggest gift. I would say it's all a, it's all a gift of its own kind, but the permission for me to not say yes to something right away was like a relief to the very core of my being. You know? like, yeah. Well, and it's coupled, right? Cause it's not just that knowing the human design information would have been enough if you had found it 15 years ago, pre-being protocol. Right. And yeah. I know for myself, like, especially when I talk to splenic authority people, cause I find that, well, yeah. So the spleen is related to the immune system and the immune system's con- in part affected by our adrenals. And if we're in fight or flight, then it'll ramp down our immune system. Right. And so in a very simplistic level. And so for myself, it's like when my whole life was a no, and I was in that fight or flight, of course, I couldn't hear my intuition. Like you, the baseline has to be spacious enough so that we can even have the variability to feel a yes versus a no. So that's yeah, all of that. And there were some questions that people had about the fiber piece and (laughs) let's see where to, where to go with this. So I think some people are, get a little bit scared about like, there's a lot of fiber. I have gut issues. Da, da, da. Like for myself, I had, I had candida, I had gut dysbiosis. I was fine. So I just feel like I want to say that, but is there anything you want to add? The thing that I have discovered the most doing this, cause I work with people with, and I had horrible candida. I should mention that is with chronic illness, which is what I had comes great imbalance and great imbalance usually, you know, feeds the opportunistic, right? The opportunistic like candida doesn't just, isn't just fed by grains and beans and dairy. I mean, um, sugar and fruit it's fed by your own adrenaline. So I was highly adrenalized. So I was feeding my own candida just with the glucose by being you. (laughs) at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, so I remember getting my doctor saying, Oh, you have, you know, really pretty bad candida, but we're not going to treat it because we have bigger fish to fry. And ultimately we never treated it because the candida, as my body started to get healthy and I wasn't eating fruit and I wasn't eating sugar and I, well, I was eating a lot of grain, but it just began to find its way back into the terrain, right. To fit as its part, because these things that are bad, 
are not bad. They, they just shouldn't be fed so that they don't take up more ground than they should have, right? We all have candida. It's living in me right now, probably very happily and, and in symbiosis with everything else that's going on. So slow carbs aren't usually a problem. I have some clients who do incredibly well with candida and SIBO. And then I have other clients that have to cut out beans and do another soluble fiber source. So it's, it's pretty individual, even though it's a pretty big, you know, like, oh, everybody has candida, but everybody's body responds differently to it. So it's kind of an interesting, yeah. I would say the most interesting part of my job is the fact that I'm constantly learning. Yeah. And I think this is why I, I know when people start researching the bean protocol at first, it's like, oh, I can just do this on my own. I can just eat beans. But I found for myself, it was so helpful to work with you because everybody has their own unique little things, whether it's like, oh, maybe I don't do well on beans, but you can still do this with other kinds of fiber or, you know, all the other situations. Yeah. Or, or find, I think people go, oh, I didn't do well with this bean. So I don't eat beans. And I'm like, well, actually each bean has its own nutrient makeup. So try a different bean. And a lot of times somebody will find a bean that really works well for them. That's so funny. I, I tend to, I've found that I can do well with every bean that I've tried, but I really just don't like the taste. Um, mm-hmm. What is mm-hmm. it? Black eyed peas, which are so common, but I, so we'll get to us being open taste people in a second. Cause I think that'll be really interesting, but I just want to say one more to address another question on adjusting to the fiber and gas, uh, because my, my personal experience has been, and just to add a little bit more to like the mechanism, the way I understand it, please correct me if I'm wrong as to why we tend to get gas when we have beans is that the bean, the fiber of the beans is binding to all this spent adrenaline hormones that we actually want to remove. But as we move it through the body, especially in the beginning, it's fermenting. So once I learned that, cause I had been paleo for years, I also had like weird blood sugar stuff. So I cut out all the sugar and fruit and I hadn't touched a bean in years. <laughs> and then, you know, I started protocol and I had gas for a while, but to me, I was like, oh, it's working. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I would actually be a little bit gassier when I ate like real food beans, as opposed to taking the fiber. I don't know if other people have, have told you that, but so in my experience, I'm like, oh, the beans are like a little more effective. And I would also notice if I was afterward, once I had adjusted, if I tended to be more stressed either mentally, Mm -hmm. or I did a little bit more movement than my body could handle, then I would get a little gassy. And to me, it was just like, oh, cool. It's, it's working. And I produced a little more adrenaline today. That's another like piece of information I can use to come back to baseline. And it's wonderful that you could see cause and effect. Most people are not in their bodies. And so they don't really notice cause and effect, right? And actually, really, it's amazing how many people don't feel stress, even though they're incredibly mm. stressed out. I was one of those people. I didn't feel how stressed out I was. I was like, I'm so stressed. I could feel the anxiety, but I didn't ever relate to it as stress. I'm like, oh, actually, that is stress. So cause and effect. Yeah, it's like if you're overproducing hormones, chances are you're going to ferment um, more than you are going to digest properly. And also beans have a lot of fiber and polysaccharides. And so, you know, it's like in these fibers, they're going to ferment more in the gut. And so also, you know, your biome isn't used to having these because most people are paleo and they've cut out all of these grains. So your body isn't even used. So you're kind of, when I tell people till I'm blue in the face, go slow, go small. It's really to give your body an opportunity to go, oh, we're breaking this food down you know, and we're, we're kind of learning how to do this because I think in these elimination diets where people eliminate these different food groups, 
not the elimination diet, but all of these kind of subcategories of diets where people remove grains or they remove this or whatever. It's like you're you're almost starving out a part of your biome by doing that. So, and in some cases, obviously that's really helpful. Like in the case of sugar, a lot of women are walking around with untreated candida and brain fog and puffy and skin problems and gut issues. And so there are benefits to starving out certain categories of, of your biome. But in general, I think taking a really balanced approach, like I really don't eat fruit. Other family members do. I maybe eat blueberries I or blackberries or like I grab occasion in in season and locally to me mm. I, I get some stuff um, very open taste <laughs> very right because everything needs it's funny because when I learned about that part of my design of like eating uh, local and seasonal like I felt so seen because even at the farmer's market I always find the farmers who are within 100 miles of right instead of like 800 miles away or 400 miles away and like oh yeah my farmer is 150 miles away you know and that's the one i always naturally gravitate to and buy from mm, yeah yeah so i'll define open taste really briefly i mean there's a lot of different nuances to it but we are both people who do well in this sort of like so there's six different types of determination and they they evolve sort of. So the first type is more of like this hunter, like caveman style where it's like one thing at a time, like we caught a buffalo. And then the second type, which is taste, which is what we are, there's agriculture and there's seasons. And so there's a predictability of like, okay, we have squash for the next three months because it's fall right now. And that's what we're going to be eating and it's whole foods. And it fits so well with the bean protocol. And not to say that other other determinations can't benefit from fiber because again, we're all in human bodies. But I do think it's really interesting that it's worked so well for both of us mm-hmm. to go a little bit more into it. This was a funny, okay. So you have a book that you've written. Yeah, I know. <laughs> would, you, would you like to tell us what it's called? <laughs> yes. It's called your taste foods are assholes, which makes a lot of sense because I'm a taste person and, and a smell person. Yeah. And- And I was really driven by, you know, the mouth party, I call it, which is like all taste, right? Which is very much my design. But what was interesting to me was that the things that I wanted the taste of were the things that were feeding my disease. Yes. This this was a huge challenge for me too, because it's like the way, so I'm a taste determination, taste cognition, but smell and taste cognitions are very closely related. So we're like, cousins on the, that way of orienting to the world. And I found for myself, it's like the, the wiring got laid down in my body that, oh, I need adrenaline to run. Okay. So I like, I like this chemical feeling in my body. And then my taste would come in and be like, well, coffee is great. Sugar is great. And so it's like, it laid down, like literally like the taste buds were were kind of assholes for a while because the pattern was incorrect. And that was such a challenge to switch over with the bean protocol because I had, I had been given, I had stopped. What was it? I was like pretty low on the sugar because of the candida gut stuff, but I was still drinking coffee. And that was like a slow multi-year process of actually releasing that from my life because it just, ah, just the taste was so good. And it was so hard. I'm curious, like, yeah, if there's anything you want to say to that for yourself. Yeah, I'm curious similar... as a projector, like, um, because you have a very specific, like, the way you use your energy is very specific and you're, you're very efficient, right? Like, I'm not necessarily efficient with my energy. I'm kind of like, I have all this energy. Ah! 
you know, whereas you and I'll make mistakes and go too fast. And I've really enjoyed the practice of going slow and not making mistakes, even though I can definitely still from time to time. But with you, it's interesting to me when I was a caffeine drinker, I couldn't have felt more out of my body. And I was curious that what is the experience for you for caffeine? So I think this has a lot to do with how I was raised and what kind of like I'm thinking about like Candace Pert molecules of emotion. Like, are you familiar with her work? It's like mm-hmm. the, her, so prior to her work, there was this idea that the nervous system, it was all electrical impulses only. And she came in and she was like, well, we actually create hormones and those actually lead to certain feelings too. And so it kind of, and you know, her and then like Bruce Lipton and all that stuff is kind of in the same, I think of it as like all work that complements each other. So I think for me, the feeling of adrenaline in my body got associated with, I'm competent, I can do things, I can keep working past my limits, which is neutral, but I was conditioned to think it was a positive thing. So while like now I have caffeine and I feel like I'm on a spaceship, but I, I'll say like, cause I'm a, I'm a six, two profile. So like in my third line phase of life, first 30 years, I would have caffeine. And because of those associations, I would kind of plug in and funnel it into most, mostly work. And it worked, but people would tell me like, oh my God, you, I can tell when you've had coffee because you talk so fast <laughs> or, you know, just other sort of, I think you call it squirrel energy sometimes, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Crazy squirrel. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. But so it sounds like for you though, there was a similar dynamic where your taste got a, somehow attached to the taste of sugar. And maybe that also relating to some kind of like, this is who I am. And this allows me to like push in certain ways. Is that like a... Yeah, it just, sugar for me was, it was just food for me was emotional. And I think what was interesting about the healing process is that I was eating all of these foods that I didn't like the taste of, Mm. and I didn't like the texture of, and the very foods that healed me later, I learned were contrary to my design. So I thought that was really interesting medicine of in the act of healing, I actually had to retrain my taste buds to support my physical body because we are here for a physical experience or otherwise we wouldn't have these crazy bodies that were dragging around, right? The brain would just be like, you know, on its own little spaceship, but we do have these bodies. And so for me in the art of healing, I had to let go of all of the previous tastes that I had sought after, which were sweet and salty. And, you know, now my flavor profile is savory and spicy and stringent and bitter. And like, there can be sweet things in my house because I have older daughters and, you know, husband and there's foods in the house that I don't eat, but it's not because I'm like, oh, I don't eat those foods. It's like, no, no interest in those foods. Like there's such a huge difference between feeling like you're holding yourself from not eating something and really not feeling any emotional con- attachment to them whatsoever. To me, it's almost like the retraining, the eating all those foods that I didn't want to eat and watching my body healed, almost, it retrained my idea of like, how do I want this experience to go? Do I want to eat myself into a hole or do I want to educate my taste buds on the foods that support this physical health as well? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it reminds me something that I like often remind people when we talk about human design and eating nutrition, et cetera, is that for taste people like sugar, alcohol, coffee, that doesn't apply. Cause those aren't really foods. Those are just like, you know, it's like another kind of like 
uh, medicine isn't the right word, like almost like a, like a food pharmaceutical, right? It's, it's altering our chemicals. Yeah. And so when you say like during your healing process, you ate foods that didn't taste good. Are those the same ones you're eating now? Like that do taste good? Yeah. Well, yeah. but you have to understand. So in the process of healing Crohn's, you're not eating foods that have any flavoring. You're not uh, like, I wasn't using any flavoring, any oil, everything literally tastes the same. It was just all boiled food. Got it. Yeah. So the experience was like, I remember it being literally like, I'd rather be eating cardboard because there would be a purpose for it to taste like this, you know? And really what I had to do was visualize healing with every bite. I would visualize healing. Like this is healing me. This is good. This is healing me. This is good. And this, this relationship to my food literally shifted and changed where I was eating to heal instead of just eating for pleasure or mm. sadness, or when I was sad, I ate beans. When I was happy, I ate beans. When I was, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like whatever I was feeling, I was eating beans. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you share that because people can get, and myself included, I've been in this place, really, we can get really in our heads about, like, there's just a lot of information, right? What is the right thing to eat, especially when we're sick and trying to heal? And there are, I think it's, helpful to hear sometimes there are points where maybe you just have to follow this protocol or this thing that you chose and that resonates with you by the way like I feel like it's important to say I'm not saying the bean protocol has to be for everyone Um, you can decide that for yourself through your own authority but also then like through that process I would guess now like you have such a connection to what tastes like correct and good for you oh yeah like I my sense of taste now that I don't eat sugar all the time because I think sugar really dominated my palate, that sweet dominated my palate. And so my taste wasn't as dialed in. Now I can immediately taste if something's bad and I don't swallow it and I spit it out. If something is slightly off, I can taste it. Also, my sense of smell is off the hook. Like, it's just like, like I can smell everything and everyone. And I smell people. Well, perfume is an interesting one because I, interestingly enough, as a smell person, I also love data. I love blood work. I love genetics. And I ran my genetics. And in my genetics, I have liver pathways that don't process perfumes and heavy scents well. And as a highly attuned sniffer, I don't like those things. And so it was interesting to see how the human design connected to the genetic portion of it, because there's a part of my actual physical genetic that is saying no to, to, to these heavy kind of artificial smells. Right. Yeah. Really yeah. That's really interesting. Really that's actually the, the cutting out all scented products was one of my favorite parts actually of the view <laughs> protocol, because it's not even that I like my dad is actually pretty sensitive as well. So I didn't grow up in like a very heavily scented household, let's call it. But I, I mean, I have, you know, there are like essential oils or like non-toxic perfumes that every once in a while, like just smelled so good and would evoke Mm -hmm. something. So there was like a little bit of that, you know, maybe like a lavender laundry detergent. And after, cause I was, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm a lot more flexible now, but in that first six months, I remember cutting everything out and then going on a camping trip to the Sierras where I've been many times. And getting like opening the door of the car and being like, Oh my God, the trees smell so good. Where are we? This forest, like 20, you know, like 2020, nobody's driving. Something has changed about the forest. I mean, it hadn't, it was just every sense of smell was so much better. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's easy. I've seen on the, in the human design space to say like, oh, if you're a smell person, like light a candle, but actually I'm like, no, no, like clear it all out so that you can get in tune with that primal sense of smell. Cause there's so mm-hmm. much I think that we miss out on. So do you have any funny stories about like things you sniffed out because you're more clear in that way of perceiving the world? Well, it's interesting because if I'm physically in a space with somebody, I'll know if we're going to be friends based on their smell. Like interesting. One of the factors. Yeah. Like if I don't like the way somebody smells like on a cellular level, like their smell, not the perfume, not the essential oil, not the underarm deodorant. Cause I can smell all that. Their actual smell is either repelling to me or really welcoming. So that was the most fascinating part of decluttering my space of smell was actually being able to smell people. Hmm. And it also made me realize how people sterilize their own smell, because I think Hmm. there's something to be said for smell attracting your, your people, you know, like there's something, I don't know. I could be, I want to hear, I want to hear you say more about that. Like, why do you think was so maybe default for us to sterilize our own smell? I don't know. I don't know. But I also think our diet can change the way we smell. So I Mm. think that if you have a diet, that's probably not working for you, that your smell is not going to be that, that Mm. good. And so maybe we want to cover that up, right. With something, but my favorite thing is to hug somebody and actually smell that not in a creepy way. (laughs) Oh yeah. These are getting information. (laughs) Information to smell other people's information. And, and I always find it sad when I can't smell somebody because they've covered them themselves up so much, you know, they're like actual, their actual smell. Yeah, totally. No, the idea of that like sniffer, like sniffer dog is like the perfect metaphor. It's like very splenic. And I'm just, what you're saying is making me think about my own taste cognition because yes, there's a level of like, okay, like through the mouth, but we can also taste air. And so like, I'll smell my food before I eat it just because like, Mm -hmm. I find it really enjoyable. So Mm -hmm. it's a very, there's kind of this blurry line where like, I, I feel like I'm learning for myself as you explain how you relate to smell, how it feeds into my own taste too. Like I know for myself, deciding where I wanted to move a while back involved visiting different places. And I think being able to like take in the air, mm-hmm. not so much through my nose, but more through my mouth. I know it's like a weird, yeah. subtle, subtly different thing, but yeah. Yeah. You're, tasting yeah. It. You're like, I need to taste the air. Exactly. And interesting. Like, so do you feel like you were tasting if it was healthy or tasting like how, how what was that? I think so. Yeah. It's not So my definition to my spleen is unconscious. So it's much more based in the body. Like I'm not as mentally aware of it, but I think health is a huge piece of it, right? Because it's that primal, like, does my body feel supported by this? Or is there something a little off? Like I'm also, maybe you're similar. I'm always the one that's like this thing in the fridge is is off. Like we need to Mm -hmm. toss it out. Like before Mm -hmm. anybody else notices, it's like that kind of dynamic. Oh yeah. I'm like, this is not good. And And everyone's like, no, it's fine. Yeah. And then a day later, it's not. (laughs) It's in beans. Like I say this a lot, but do not eat a bean that's fermented. If it's fermented, oh. if it's gotten to the point where it's fermenting in your fridge, that is not a good type of fermentation. That's called a painful type. That is going to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I made that. This is, this is a little embarrassing. I made that mistake once because uh, prior to what was it? Yeah. It was like when I was still in my office job and I wouldn't really have a chance to like go to the kitchen. Like I'd be in meetings all day. So I just like carry a little jar of beans with me. And like one day the weather was like a little too warm. And I was like, I don't know, this is like 
maybe okay. I should have, I should have listened to myself, but it was okay. I was fine after a day or two. Do you feel totally healed? Like does your body and your energy and like, are you in a body that feels like, yes, this is my vital, healthy body? This is great. Cause this is actually what I wanted to to ask you about later too. So I, where I feel now, and I've been, so I, be, I began the bean protocol, let's say like January, 2020, first couple of months, I was still in an office job, not fully, you know, I was like transitioning. I feel like I'm, let's say like 75% of the way healed. Like I was, I was in a pretty serious car accident a couple months ago. And so that was obviously its own stressor. I, my car was totaled on the highway. Like, yeah, not great. Um, so that, that has set me back a little bit. In terms I like of how you're like, and, not great. No, that's yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. But you know, I, I've, there've been lessons that have come out of it. So prior to that though, like my sleep was much better. My cycle, that was actually the first thing that, that healed. And it was amazing how quickly that healed too, actually. So, and those were the two kind of big things in terms of like, this feels off. And then the step after that, that is currently still, I'm still in is like rebuilding the strength that I had lost because thanks to you, you were like, just because you have a little more energy doesn't mean you go blow it on like a workout. And that was so hard for me to hear also because I, at the time had been living with an MG partner that had really intense workouts. And there's, I had my own conditioning around like, oh, to be like healthy and fit, you got to like work out, like, you know, fill in the blank. And so 2020, I didn't really do any kind of exercise except for maybe like walking mm-hmm. and that's still rebuilding. And again, because of the car accident, I have kind of fully laid off. So yeah, it's, I'm still in it, but it doesn't feel, it's only an, another phase than where I was in the beginning. And the question that I had for you, cause I remember when we first talked, you said, I think you said like, I've been on the bean protocol for X number of years and I'm still seeing gains from it. And I couldn't really even like, that sounds great, but I'm like, what does that even look like? Right. And now <laughs> that I'm, let's call it all, like a little over a year and a half in, I'm like, Oh, I, I get it. Right. You just kind of feel this baseline level of more energy, but I wanted to hear if you had anything to say around, like, if there are specific, if there are different phases, you could almost like benchmark so that I have something to look forward to, or just any personal anecdotes about like, you know, it's been year 10 on the protocol or whatever it is. And this is like the new cool thing that I'm feeling. You know, it's an interesting thing. Cause I do think that there's something to be said for stage of life as well. Like I'm going to be 46 and I'm in perimenopause, which is such a different stage of life, right? So every stage. So in my thirties, when I was, had Crohn's and healing, it was, it was all about like, um, healthy cycles, healthy, no PMS, healthy bowel movements, like really enjoying that flow. Cause for the first 33 years of my life, I had horrible cycles, horrible PMS, um, I jokingly called myself a praying mantis where I was just like, you know, just like, <laughs> and it felt horrible to feel that way. So in my thirties, it was like maintaining healthy gut, uh, healthy gut health was a huge, obviously a huge one for me and help then healthy cycles. I didn't even, at the time, I didn't even know the protocol helped with periods as well. And when that was a side benefit, I was all, whoo, ow, like, Karen, with that, with that, like, that's insane. And she's like, yeah. Um, duh. 
but then sleep, like part of my illness was that I didn't sleep at all. And part of, and also part of hormonal imbalances is as poor sleep. So my sleep got really healthy. I mean, I can still have sleepless nights to this day. I think most people can, I am especially sensitive to moon cycles. So when it's mm. a full moon out, I should just book a party, a full moon party. Cause that's all that's going to happen. I am not, I maybe will get four hours of sleep on a full moon night. Like I just, since I was a kid, I just get wow. electrified and it's not like a mental necessarily. It's like my physical body's like time to go to bed. My mental body's like time to party. Uh, and I'm like, no, go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> go to sleep. Yeah. Um, so the recent full moon in Aries, I think, uh, so many people were struggling with that. <laughs> I was just like, I'm, I, and I, now the way I deal with conflict is to give in and let go. So it was like when the moon was creating this conflict in my body, I was like, I give in, I will lay here. I will not turn on lights. I will not party. I will just lay here and I will just be with the moon until I fall asleep. That takes a lot of surrender as well. Cause I struggle with that on my own journey of getting to the point where I wasn't stressing about, Oh my God, I'm missing out on sleep. And like, what else could I be, you know, and just to be like, it's cool. I'm still, what reframed it for me was to be able to lie there and say, well, I'm still getting rest. This mm -hmm. is still good for me. I don't have to sleep. Like we're just resting. Like that was really important. Resting. And then the next day I am fine. Like this full moon, I didn't sleep well. I woke up, worked, was totally fine. It's, I think a lot of times it's our obsessive and I can definitely give way too much power to my mind. It's that obsessive thought that really is, is the hard, that's the hard part, right? It's like when, when I let go and I'm like, yeah, it is what it is. We'll be fine. Um, then I, I've taken away a layer that's just unnecessary, you know, it's like, meh. Yeah. Okay. You have so much wisdom unique beyond just the beam protocol. I feel like all these different experiences, maybe it's like very one, three, just as we're talking, I feel like you have such grace and ease in navigating life. So I appreciate everything you've shared and being willing to go with me outside of just the protocol into all these different human design corners. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I know people listening either, you know, they have burnout stuff, this would be great for a defined route. If you're like me and you're like super adrenalized, um, you're wanting to get more in touch with hearing your authority. And you're like, oh, maybe I identify with this. My body's not totally at that calm place yet. You, you should all just work with Unique. She's incredible. And I know you have, I worked with you one-on-one, -on -one, but I know you have courses too, right? Which is maybe, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I do. I have a course where it's kind of like choose your own adventure. You can choose to work with me and do coaching calls, or you can choose to do it on your own. And, and it's amazing. I offered that because what I realized that there's a lot of people who have a private relationship with their body and health and taking their own journey on the protocol. And sometimes they'll reach out and sometimes they won't. And sometimes they'll book an a coaching call. Um, is that a lot of people just want to take them themselves through the journey themselves and play around with it. And I love that. So, but I also offer email support for that. And, and it's an eight week course for people. And really it's an introduction to lifestyle habits that it's an eight week course where you're gently taken through the beam protocol, but for, you know, in all transparency for people with hormonal imbalances, you're probably going to be on a version of it for three, six months or more, depending on what you're working on. If it's female hormones, it's that three month cycles, but also if you're fatigued and, and burnt out, it can be 
six, nine months of healing, um, which is kind of profound, but I really wanted to create a protocol that was very accessible. And I felt like eight weeks was accessible where we can do anything for eight weeks, right? And it was a way to really see if A, the protocol works for you. And then if it does, and you're working on deeper health imbalances, then you can just hang out on it. I mean, I have some people who get the four call package and we do one, one call a month together, right? So we can really stretch it out and work as long as needed. And I mean, it's been such an incredible journey. I had never built a course before, but I really felt the call to, to get this protocol out there. I mean, I changed, I was telling you earlier, I left my old career and in the time, the three months that I took off, I really got in touch with, I want to know more. I want to know why food is so powerful and why I was able to heal with just food alone, a disease that no, that every doctor told me that I would have for the rest of my life. And I would be on medication for the rest of my life. And I just remember the moment that I said no to that journey was the moment they told me I could eat whatever I wanted. All I had to do was take a pill. And I remember this really strong sense of this is wrong. I shouldn't be allowed to eat whatever I want and take a pill. Like I do need to make some concessions here. I can't live on adrenaline and coffee and sugar and feel it. And, a, and, and drugs. <laughs> right. An occasional salad and think that I'm going to be okay. There needs to be some... I need to meet my body halfway here and I need to make changes. And I don't know what these changes are yet, but I'm going to find them. And so it was interesting that that was the moment that a deeper wisdom in me kicked in because the ears were like, take a pill, eat whatever you want. Ow. This mm -hmm. is like, you know, the taste was like, yes, this is so great. We can keep our habits up, but something deeper inside of me have no idea where it came from was like, no, that's not right. You, yeah. There needs, there is something here that needs to change in the way I connect with food. So, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but yeah, yeah, no, I, it's so great because I just see you living so many different parts of your design with like the one, three and your own journey and the way you use your energy, which is, I mean, something we didn't really talk too much about, but you kind of touched on in the beginning is as an MG now you're like, I I only do things that feel good. And like, I didn't realize I could do say no to like just working all the time. So I think that's an added benefit too of, you know, there's a lot of people you could work with for nutrition, not necessarily the being protocol, but it's great that you also know like design at a high level and for you to be able to say to me like, oh, I know that you're a projector, for example, and you use your energy a little bit differently. So we'll link your site and your Instagram where there's also tons of great information. You do interviews with people all the time. And is there anything else you want to add before we sign off for today? No, but I can't believe that went so quickly and I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Unique. I'm so grateful to be able to share your message with everyone here. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you did a couple quick asks, First, would you be willing to show some support with a review or sharing with a friend, maybe someone you're trying to get into human design? With the review, I know a lot of us are listening on the go, so myself included. So if you could pause while you're in line at the store or remember to check back in later, it is a free way to show some recognition, which you know I deeply appreciate as a projector. So thanks in advance. And secondly, I also love hearing what you're taking away from the episode. So if you want to take a screenshot and share on Instagram and tag me at victoriajane.hd 
I love knowing what you learned or if there's anything you have more questions on. We can always do future episodes and go deeper. I love connecting in that way via stories too, so feel free to do that and thanks so much. See you on the next episode.